0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Liz Truss has had a busy first few days in office. On Thursday, she announced a huge package, estimated at around £100 billion, to tackle soaring energy bills that have been crippling households and businesses around the UK.
2: I promised I would deal with the soaring energy prices faced by families and businesses across the UK. And today I am delivering on that promise.
1: The former Foreign Secretary emerged as leader of the Conservative Party on Monday after a tough campaign in which she beat the former Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, to the top job. Now Liz Truss is Britain's fourth Prime Minister in six years. As the country contends with double-digit inflation and fast-rising household energy bills, there's a to-do list that looks a lot more like Pandora's box lying in wait for her behind that famous black door in Downing Street.
2: We can ride out the storm. We can rebuild our economy. And we can become the modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be.
1: This is The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking, can Britain's new prime minister solve the UK's economic crisis? Liz Truss began her political journey as a fiery young Liberal Democrat and morphed into an ambitious Conservative.
2: During this leadership campaign, I campaigned as a Conservative and I will govern as a Conservative.
1: She went from being one of the former Prime Minister David Cameron's most loyal Remainers in the Brexit wars...
2: But that is why that European market is so precious. Because we share the same regulations, we share the same rules. To a full-fat Brexiteer afterwards. And since the Brexit vote, I've done more than most people in government to deliver on the opportunities of Brexit.
1: Although her drive was a known quantity, she didn't win over fellow MPs in the tussle for votes early on. They preferred Rishi Sunak who is seen as a steadier hand. But her optimistic outlook, which some say defies economic reality, and a determination to offer a tax-cutting plan to restore growth, won over party members, and they gave her their votes. Behind the poised exterior she exuded this week, who is Listras and why do opinions of her vary so widely? In today's show, I'll speak to political players from different parties to piece together that puzzle. And later, two of our in-house experts will be joining me to analyse what Britain will look like in the Truss era. Liz Truss was initially brought up in Oxford, in a household that loved politics. Far from her credentials today, though, the family and the young Liz herself were part of a leftish monoculture. Her father, John, was a mathematics professor. Her mother, Priscilla, was a nurse. And they were all part of an anti-war movement that flourished in opposition to Mrs Thatcher. Her childhood was spent on peace marches, which evolved into fighting for distinctly liberal causes. It was during that period that she met Lord Razzle, a Liberal Democrat peer, who was a senior aide to the party's leader in the 1990s, Paddy Ashdown. And in this guise, he encountered the student Liz Truss as she was about to give a speech and not one the hierarchy relished hearing.
0: To be honest, I remember being slightly embarrassed because two or three of us had been sent by Paddy Ashdown, who was the leader of the party at the time, to try and talk her out of putting down this resolution at the, the conference in 1994. A resolution was put down in her name to abolish the monarchy and She was also very much behind a resolution to legalise all cannabis. Now, Ashdown, who tended to take a strong view about all matters political, went mad with the conference committee who he said how on earth did you allow these resolutions to go down Um, and uh, said all that will happen is that all the right-wing newspapers the only thing they'll cover about our conference is these resolutions and he proved to be right anyway i I and others were dispatched to see Liz Truss to try and dissuade her from uh, doing the resolution and speaking
2: there are two main problems with this amendment conference It does not give us a Dutch bicycling monarchy. In fact, the amendment does not change the position of the monarch at all. I agree with Paddy Ashdown when he said, everybody in Britain should have the chance to be a somebody. But only one family can provide the head of state. We Liberal Democrats believe in opportunity for all.
0: She took no notice. She absolutely took no notice. She thought, who are these men in suits coming to, to uh, um, try and dissuade me from doing something that I believe in, i.e. Uh, abolishing the monarchy and legalizing cannabis? And um, my, my recollection of me feeling rather embarrassed of, of ha- having this conversation, I remember thinking, you know, if I was her age, when I was her age, I wouldn't have liked to have been dictated to in the way we were trying to dictate to her. And, 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 and of course, we didn't succeed.
1: When you met her, she was starting out. She was president of Oxford University Liberal Democrats. What do you remember of her approach to politics back then?
0: My recollection when I first met her was that this was a very ambitious young woman. I think most people who get involved in politics at their university are usually doing so as a stepping stone for politics. I got the impression that this was all about her wanting to make her mark. It didn't really matter that um, where she stood on it, what she wanted to be was creating her mark, making a point and getting the publicity that would come from that, which she got.
1: Where do you think that approach was first nurtured?
0: So I think she was brought up in an environment where politics and economics will have been discussed. And, and and I suspect, as a result, when she joined the Tory party, because her father is very well known to be very left wing, uh, he, will, he will have been slightly unhappy. And what he thinks about his uh, daughter becoming prime minister remains to be seen.
1: I think people are quite happy when their daughters become prime minister.
0: I was told that in his university, where he's still teaching, his students were told not to raise the question of the daughter during this period of the the Hustings because it upset him.
1: She's seen as a shapeshifter because she switched political sides in 1996 just after you had your encounter with her there. She joined the Conservative Party. What do you think prompted her to abscond from the Liberal Democrats, a challenger brand in British politics, to the Conservative Party, which is the clues in the name, the ultimate party of conservatorship
0: i think that she clearly has always been a, a small l liberal in social terms but in economic terms i think she believes very strongly in uh, the capitalist economy um, and and that, that was she saw that as a dividing line between her and the liberal democrats
1: so having observed this young woman of very decided even defiant mindset when you met her and you were high up in the, in the hierarchy of the party she was then in, what do you think she will bring to the role of prime minister with that sense of, of drive?
0: If you look at her uh, record as moving from the Liberal Democrats to the Tories, uh, then having campaigned in in the referendum very strongly for Remain, but then now takes the view that that's over and so she is a Brexiteer, as she would put it, and indeed got the support of most of the Brexiteers among the Tory MPs, she clearly has a flexibility of mind, which might mean that she proves pragmatic as Prime Minister rather than the rather dictatorial person that she has appeared during the hustings.
1: Liz Truss's next foray into politics, as she moved into conservative circles after a stint in industry, was just as spirited as her time at university. She cut her teeth as a junior minister in David Cameron's government, campaigning for education reform. Austerity measures were also well underway in the wake of the 2008 financial crash, and that meant Truss was no stranger to crisis response. Politically, she's been underrated, often seen as quirky and with as many detractors as fans among fellow ministers.
2: We're producing more varieties of cheese than the French. We import 9 tenths of all of our pears. We import 2 thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace.
1: And yet she's dogged, one of a handful of survivors in cabinet positions from those Cameron years to Theresa May's brief stint after Brexit, and she rose under Boris Johnson through Treasury roles to Foreign Secretary. Along the way, she took to staging photo ops, pictured with a nod to Thatcher-era iconography in a personnel carrier. Former Conservative leader Ian Duncan Smith served with her during her time in the House of Commons, and he witnessed her meteoric rise through the ranks.
3: I think it was more the case of in politics, as you know, it's more often timing uh, more than planning, in a sense that every politician that enters cabinet probably has a vague idea that they think they have a chance to be leader at some point or become prime minister. So there is that burgeoning sense of self which is around. But more often than not, it's, it's when the timing comes, what do you do with it, the decisions you take, and how do you go about it? And I think that's where she has managed her rise uh, rather better than others. I mean, for example, recently, she didn't resign from cabinet, whereas others did. Others misread what a lot of MPs and then members were keen on. So
1: you're talking about the fall of Boris Johnson.
3: Yes, indeed. And, And she had no hands on that at all. There is a lot of sense about Boris out there in the country and also amongst members particularly, uh, where they felt that he had been, you know, whilst he has all his faults, he'd been rather badly treated. So by not directly getting involved in all of that, that helps enormously. And that was good judgment on her part.
1: Liz Truss was a strong Remainer. She was even at a famous press conference alongside the Chancellor, then George Osborne, warning of the risks of Brexit. But since Brexit happened, she's become pretty ardent, if you like, a full-fat proponent of making it work. For some, that is twisting and turning.
3: Well, in politics, if you stay still for too long, somebody shoots you. So the answer is you've always got to be able to move in politics. But I think, funny enough, Timing again is everything. Uh, Brexit, a big deal. We divided over it, we argued over it, we split. But when it was done, and it did get done, it's generally conceived that that decision is made, it now needs tidying up and sorting out, but that a big decision has been made and it is settled. So that means essentially that it's what you do after that that becomes the big issue.
1: All politicians have a mem about them these days. And I think with Liz Truss, we could agree it's probably about her speechy in praise of cheese or specifically British cheese, which captured some of her quirkiness. There was a serious or sort of serious underpinning, which I think was about cheese exports, but that's lost in the mists of time. But it does show a side of her, which I've also experienced a lot over the years. She often doesn't quite do things the way other politicians would. She takes a few more risks and sometimes it lands and sometimes it's bemusing.
3: I know that I'm not good on comparisons, but I will make one comparison now, which is everybody looks at, say, Mrs. Thatcher, the original female prime minister that broke the the mold, as it were. Everyone remembers her as she became. But very few people are now old enough and certainly remember her as she was when she took over in 1976. There you would look at a woman that did very similar things, you know, Thatcher, Thatcher, milk snatcher, uh, often about hoarding tins in her cupboard, I seem to recall, which caused huge laughter and pointing fingers. But it's the question is, do you develop? Is there scope in you to develop and to be able to bring that instinct in the right direction and merge it slowly and powerfully with the right arguments, uh, oral arguments that you make? And that, I think, is a process of gaining in confidence, which she showed during the leadership campaign. She developed all the way through. And what you see at the end is not what we saw at the beginning.
1: You played a, a role in the campaign. You decided pretty early on that you were going to back Liz Truss over Rishi Sunak. What was it then about her offer that seemed to you to be the right direction for the party, but also for the country at a particularly difficult time?
3: For me, I was looking at everybody's character. Uh, I wanted to make a judgment about whether or not I thought the individual in front of us had the character to see things through. We are heading into really difficult times. I don't know of another prime minister, even worse than 1979, where they faced such turbulent waters globally. It's not just the UK, Europe's in a crisis, America's struggling. You know, The whole capitalist system is now under real threat at the moment and pressure. So I wanted to find somebody who I thought had steel and backbone to be able to see through what they believed to be right and not be knocked and buffeted by the winds uh, to change positions and thus cause confusion and chaos.
1: There a lot of people were saying they didn't quite know what Liz Truss was. And I wondered how she convinced you, if there are any sort of memories of, of what she came in. I mean, you were gesturing over there to a sofa just behind no. us. She sat there. There's a group of you, a lot of veteran MPs who warts and all know the political system inside out. How did she convince you?
3: I think it was clarity. I think she, uh, she didn't hesitate, even if she thought it might, we might disagree with her. She made a very strong point on every occasion. She answered the questions, really a good point, and didn't get notchy or t- tetchy when she was cross-examined. Others reacted sometimes badly to being pressed. Uh, she didn't at all. She took it in her stride.
1: You mentioned Margaret Thatcher, and obviously that comparison is widely drawn and indeed possibly even channeled by Liz Truss herself in some of her appearances and wardrobe, probably on the ground. She felt it would do no harm to uh, bring back memories uh, of Mrs Thatcher, Baroness Thatcher, with a certain wing of the party. But do you think the parallels are accurate? Do you think they're in any way similar
3: I think comparisons are only any good if you draw them on relevant individual issues as across the board I think they're a bit lazy. So I would never say she is another Mrs. Thatcher at all, because there is only one Margaret Thatcher. And the idea that somehow you replicate that or clone that is just nonsense. She was a prime minister for her time and her background. Uh, but what I look for is characteristics that, that somebody who had been successful holds, in this case, Mrs. Thatcher, we might be talking about. And that's about strength and determination and an ability to intellectually make decisions.
1: You're a former leader of the Conservative Party. What are your insights into what she needs to unite it? Your own time, and it was cut short because you were not able to control the turmoil that was roiling.
3: Well, of course, my time was slightly different in the sense that two things were very important. The first is we'd already lost dramatically in election i mean i think the worst result the conservatives have had i think we had 160 seats or something uh, when i came in it was all on the back of the decapitation of margaret thatcher party was still arguing itself to bits over this getting the party back together is easier whilst in power than it is in opposition and i think that will play to her quite well what they're looking for is leadership and success
1: what kind of a leader do you think she's going to be
3: I think you're rapidly going to discover that this is a woman who is comfortable in her own skin, that knows her own mind, that is intellectually capable of grappling with arguments. But I also think there is another bit to her which we don't see. She's a woman of humour. What I've discovered very much is she enjoys the jokes, sometimes jokes that you know about people that she wouldn't want to have outside publicly, but they're very amusing. The balance should make her, I believe, a good, strong leader, but a, a woman that with kids with family with all the difficulties to go with that in politics particularly you know for a woman who you know really has to put up with a lot in this building to get through
1: do you think that she can win in 2025
3: i see her capacity the strength the steely determination and the ability to intellectually get the argument and i think if all of those are deployed correctly by her Then I think she is, I think she can win. But again, it depends very much, as you know, in government, lots of things come at you which you may not have been expecting. So she will show or demonstrate what kind of flexibility she has as well. But uh, I think she has the leadership skills to do it, but it's gonna be tough. There's never been a tougher brief on a shorter period than Liz Truss is facing now. No other government has faced this quite the way she has. With only 18 months, not five years, to put it right, that's gonna be the key test. And whether it's doable, well, That's up to the electorate.
1: During the past eight weeks, as the Conservative Party's leadership contest raged, the severity of Britain's economic troubles worsened. Quite the opposite of a celebratory win, the new prime minister has already started going through a list of demands to save the economy and help a struggling population.
2: This guarantee means that from the 1st of October, a typical household will pay no more than £2,500 per year for each of the next two years while we get the energy market back on track.
1: But will a bold plan work to drag Britain out of this crisis? I'm joined by Matthew Holhouse, The Economist's Britain political correspondent, and by Samea Keynes, Britain's economic editor here. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for having me. Hello. So Matt, the margin of victory was a bit narrower than many expected, but Liz Truss it was. How did the week go for her
4: in your opinion? Yes, it was narrow, but a win is a win and what we're watching here is, you know, one of the great wonders of European politics, which is the ability of the Conservative Party to transform itself whilst holding office. She is their fourth prime minister. New leader, new cabinet, a new ideology, some new guiding principles, a new economic philosophy—all without entering opposition. So it, that, that alone is quite a significant thing. It went fairly well for her. The result, perhaps, wasn't as as wide as she wanted, but she got her cabinet reshuffle through. She got the speech on the steps of Downing Street and then PMQs Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday quite fascinating a real change from what we'd got used to it under was, Boris wasn't Johnson it?
1: the tone was completely different
4: because she answered the questions it was quite quite fascinating Keir Starmer the Labour leader put to her questions, knowing full well what her answer was, and she gave the answer he was looking for because that's what she believed. And he said, will there be a, we'll talk about this later on the show, but will there be a windfall tax on energy companies? And she says, no, I don't believe in them. Absolutely fascinating. Quite refreshing, really, because it used to just be Keir Starmer saying, Boris Johnson, aren't you a terrible man? And Boris Johnson talking about what a great man he was. So, you know, something really quite different.
1: There's a lot of talks mayor about Liz Truss's in I've been calling it Liz Truss's Pandora's box. because <laughs> tray doesn't really get the magnitude of what is facing her. Of course, those soaring energy bills and inflation are front of mind. How would you characterize what you've seen of her economic
5: outlook and approach so far? Yeah, I think in response to this intro from Hell, she is big picture, I would say, less concerned with some of the constraints that her predecessors were very, very worried about. So she's less worried about borrowing vast amounts. And that was fully on display when she announced her big, big intervention to help households with their energy bills this winter, but also beyond that. Now, the government has not said how much it thinks that this intervention, this cap on the average energy bill will cost, but estimates are flying round that it could be you know, more than a hundred billion pounds. So yeah, she's spoken about her disdain for Treasury orthodoxy as she was running to be Prime Minister. And now I think there will be many within the Treasury who feel like their orthodoxy really is being challenged. That 100 billion figure, do you think that's credible? I mean, the government is refusing to put a precise number on it just because it will depend so much on what happens to wholesale gas prices. They're effectively subsidising households energy Rice. bills. Hugely depends on on what happens to the underlying costs you know, relative to that cap. So we don't really know. But I'd say it's not unreasonable, given where markets are now, to think it could cost that amount. I think it's interesting that we're sitting here even talking about a figure
1: that begins with £100 billion there. If we'd been sitting around this table talking about another crisis in the British economy or anywhere else in Europe, we'd been saying this is a crazy amount of money and probably only proponents of wild intervention in market economies would be even suggesting this. Do you think this is an inversion of a lot more than just one big splurge, a different way of thinking?
5: Yeah, I mean, this is a really extraordinary figure. And to give a bit of context, the furlough scheme cost around £70 billion. Now, that said, we are in an extraordinary situation, and extraordinary situations call for extraordinary interventions. So the kind of crisis response, the idea that you would need to do something extreme is legitimate. I suppose there are just some problems or some questions about the way that they've done this. So one is, it is just extraordinary that we haven't been given a costing by the government. They're saying it'll come later in the month. I think they clearly have some kind of internal estimate. It would have been good to see that. But then also there is this point about how they're essentially trying to borrow their way out of a fundamental problem that energy supplies are scarce. And the, the risk is that by subsidising everyone's bills, by not making households face the full price signal, that they will not curb demand. My understanding is that the government is not going to be doing some kind of public information campaign to encourage people to reduce their energy consumption. And so the risk is if you're not using the price to ration out supplies, if you're not doing anything else, then at some point something's going to break. Matt, it's clearly a colossal figure. What's
1: your take on what's at stake by this massive intervention?
4: It's a real sort of philosophical vault fast. I mean, she's in no point in the campaign has she ruled out doing this sort of thing. She's always said that there will be some relief. So she's not contradicting herself. However, she has spent her career positioning herself as a radical small state conservative in the tradition of Margaret Thatcher. And in the campaign, she said that her response to this energy crunch would be to expand supply through liberalising measures on things like fracking and tax cuts. So she said, I reject this Gordon Brown economics of high taxes on one hand and and welfare payments on the other. And she said that I'm instinctively averse to handouts. And what's she doing? She's um, making this huge intervention. Now, the difficulty she has with this is this is an intervention on the scale of those that we saw during COVID-19. And much of the Conservative Party watched what happened in COVID. And they saw how the state was intervening in radical ways and markets never intervened before writing cheque after cheque after cheque for tens upon tens of tens of billions of pounds. And what happened? The British public applauded. Uh, and Conservatives said to me the other day they looked what was happening in the House of Commons when those measures were announced, and they felt that all their opponents' ideas about the role of the state were being vindicated and all their principles about the free market were being discarded. Now, Truss has appealed to that instinct during this contest. She's sort of distanced herself a little bit from some of the policies were introduced in lockdown. Her first act in office is actually going to be returning to something rather similar to the measures necessary in lockdown or, you know, really sort of expanding the frontier of the state. And the big question is how that plays out in the Conservative Party. Clearly, there'll be dozens of MPs, if not more, who are relieved that this crisis about to hit their constituents has been averted. But what the longer term price shall be for really tacking against many of their instincts We'll have to see.
1: I don't know if I entirely agree with you on that. I think the flexibility of the Conservative Party has always been to have its philosophy, however it was defined at any given point, but ultimately to
4: flex towards victory. Clearly, the party is infinitely adaptable. But look at what happened in the campaign. Look at how Rishi Sunak renounced all the measures that he'd done during Covid, saying, actually, you know, maybe we didn't have the right science when we did the Covid lockdown. Look at the way in which Conservatives now are blaming the inflation on the measures introduced on COVID, measures that they were applauding only six months earlier. So I'm I'm not saying there'll be an immediate backlash, but they've got to digest this and work out how they sit with this.
1: Fair point. Uh, Sameer, one way in which she is rather different, certainly from the the left of centre, is in this pledge to deliver tax cuts. She's going to hold an emergency budget or at least something with the euphemism of an emergency event uh, later this month. And it's going to argue that the tax burden is one of the prime reasons behind sluggish UK growth. What do you think these tax cuts are
5: going to look like? The most heavily trailed ones are the cut in national insurance contributions. And then also there was supposed to be an increase in the headline rate of corporation tax for the biggest companies coming in in April. And it looks like she's going to scrap that increase. It's worth saying that those will take... A little bit of time to come in. So this won't be a, a kind of big bang. I think when people are talking about the effects of all of this, the question is, will these policies put pressure on the Bank of England to tighten monetary policy more quickly? Yes. And that will pinch borrowers.
1: The UK is on the brink of recession. The economy contracted in the second quarter, the Bank of England, you just mentioned there's forecasting a long recession beginning later in this year, there was some rhetoric coming out from Liz Truss in the leadership campaign that this could be pulled back and that she could find a way at least to stave off recession or to bring back growth. Would you give her a fair wind on that?
5: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. So one is the short term dynamics and can fiscal stimulus now lift the economy's fortunes? The gloomiest Projections that you just mentioned by the Bank of England did assume no extra fiscal policy. So certainly fiscal policy in the short term could provide some some pep to demand and growth. In the long run, though, the criticism that the high tax burden was contributing to sluggish growth, I would actually see the causalities the other way around. It's the fact that we've got low productivity growth, just a not very fast-growing economy, That means that we have to raise higher taxes to fulfil our demand for public services. That's the way around to think about it.
1: Britain's economy has particularly high inflation. It's one of the highest in the group of seven advanced economies as of July. And it's expected to climb even higher. Is there any way that Liz Truss can reverse this trajectory?
5: Yeah, it is true that her intervention on energy prices should reduce the measured rate of inflation in the short run at least. The concern is that obviously, if you're boosting demand in the economy, then in the medium term, that will raise inflationary pressure and will therefore prompt the Bank of England to raise interest rates higher than they would otherwise have been raised. So there's no free lunch here. You can't just pull down energy prices and expect there to be no medium term consequences. Let's turn to Liz Truss's relations with the outside world. She's
1: coming to number 10 after a stint has- foreign secretary. She's been very much in the foreground of supporting Ukraine. What do you expect from her course when it comes to the big foreign calls?
4: The one certainty that you knew about a Liz Truss premiership is that she would adopt the policy that Boris Johnson took on Ukraine, i.e. full-throated support for the Ukrainian cause. The Ukrainian cause, as well as being sort of the centre of British foreign policy now, is actually in the Conservative Party's bloodstream. I was talking to somebody in the party who said, "You know, we believe in Margaret Thatcher, we believe in free markets, and we believe in Ukraine." This is a party looking for an identity. It's looking for a role in the world post Brexit. It sees its beliefs projected in this conflict of you know the idea of free peoples and free nations standing up to Russia, and so she she's absolutely embraced that.
1: I agree with that. Where the difficulty lies, it seems to me, is this sort of unsettled view of the party in government with continental Europe. If Mm. Brexit was supposed to be the friendly divorce, it's ended up with a lot of snarking. I mean, Mm. she had a go at whether President Macron of France was friend or foe. And she said the jury is
4: out. My belief of what was going on there... Is, it was widely interpreted on, in the continental press as plain to the crowd. This is a Eurosceptic party. Mm. Bashing the French has been great fun for 100 years. 500 years, isn't it? Uh, so they'll carry on with it. I actually think it's much more serious than that. That comment actually reflects a very serious misgiving about the role that Macron was playing in the conflict in Ukraine. Because in the lead-up to that, uh, President Macron, as he saw it, was seeking to maybe divert the Kremlin from its course... See if there was any room for a diplomatic settlement. And there were some figures in the British government who interpreted that as unrealistic, shall we say, about Russia's intentions.
1: When it comes to relations with the European Union, the big subject there on the table is clearly the Northern Ireland Protocol, which we're not going to go into the weeds of here, but ultimately it is this still unresolved part of what came the Brexit agreement, which in practice, there are a lot of trade and other tensions around. Now, Ursula von der Leyen, as president of the European Commission, tweeted congratulations to Liz Truss this week, but she also said, I look forward to working with her on the basis of our existing agreements, which was a bit of reverse snark, wasn't it? Because she was basically saying, well, if you agree to abide by something that Liz Truss is saying, she thinks she needs to revisit. So that sounds like a bit of a fight on.
4: Yes. So the context to this is that Boris Johnson signed the Brexit withdrawal agreement two and a half years ago. He then decided he wanted to unpick it. Liz Truss was put in charge of unpicking it. She started preparing legislation which would unilaterally renounce it. The question now is, does she push ahead with that legislation, unilaterally break a treaty? That's a pretty big deal. Does she use the provisions within the treaty itself to enter a sort of a dispute process which will enable her to unilaterally suspend elements of it? Or do you take this alternative route, which we're seeing indications they might, where they're going to roll over some grace periods? Basically, I mean, I think the big picture is that we're back in a cycle of cliff edges stepping back, cliff edges stepping back. And actually, the best case scenario is prolonged status, you know, a, a sort of a cold war over this thing. And they avert a trade war, which would be the consequence, potentially, of a unilateral annunciation that results in EU taking countermeasures. But actually, this thing just sort of becoming a bit of a frozen conflict. You'd like to say the best case scenario is, is a new deal in which, you know, this whole thing is resolved. But actually, the question over the Irish sea border has been there since the day after the Brexit vote. It is deeply intractable.
5: Yeah, I would agree with all of that. And I would point out that while we've got this uncertainty about the relationship, then that is going to be a drag on businesses, on investment, not good for the British economy and not good for the growth that Liz Truss so desperately wants.
1: One of the things that's so interesting about the way the last week has panned out is we went pretty much straight out of the candidates just stopping campaigning, knocking lots mm. out of each other. To Liz Truss winning, now she has to talk to the country. How do you think she's going to go at that?
4: There was lots of stuff in the contest about dealing with woke or getting rid of solar panels from farmers' fields. and All that stuff's going to go. All that stuff's going to go. She's going to be focused on the energy crunch, the wider sort of problem with inflation, and NHS waiting times. And really, I mean, it's, you know, the bigger picture is the UK shaping up for, you know, the most difficult winter in 40 years. So. Gosh. For all the setup we might have had in the contest about her sort of policy preferences and her ideological parameters, actually this is going to be about a, you know, a crisis premiership.
1: Last thought for you, Matt, four Conservative wins. Despite all the ups and downs, the sound and the fury, the party has been an election-winning machine. There is now a sense that it might be on a glide path out of office, but... Members chose Liz Truss because they thought that she was more likely to lead the country through the crises that we've been talking about, and possibly to a win in a couple of years' time. Do you think that's credible?
4: There's almost a received wisdom setting in that the Tories are going to lose the next election, which I, I you know, I just think is crazily premature. I mean, a lot of the commentary that they're going to get wiped out at the next election it was based on two things. One. Johnson in this sense of 1995-style sleaze, well, you know, she can succeed in presenting this as a wholly new government. Uh, And it's based on the idea that Britons are going to see, you know, the deepest drop in their incomes in a century. Now, if they kind of get through it without being thrown into enormous hardship, it's possible that by 2024 they'll be pulling it back. I just think it's way, way, way too early to be talking about them being nailed onto for defeat.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying that obviously this big intervention means that in the short run, there may be a bit of a sugar high, right? I mean, consumers are being protected. There are going to be these tax cuts coming in next April. In the short run, that will contribute to growth. There is a question about whether it'll just make things less bad than expected, or whether things will actually feel better. Yeah, I would say that there's just quite a bit of uncertainty over both the economic outlook, and also therefore, the Conservative Party's prospects for re-election. Matthew May, we must let you both get back to writing. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And do let us know what you think. Will Liz Truss be able to solve Britain's problems? And I'm also wondering whether traditional economic nostrums are now up for challenge far beyond Britain's shores in these particularly turbulent times. Write to us at podcasts at economist.com or you can tweet us at The Economist. Simea Keynes also hosts our sister podcast, Money Talks, which this week dissects the European energy crisis. Do give that a listen. And for our analysis of the enormous job that awaits the new PM, why not become an Economist subscriber? For your best introductory offer, go to economist.com slash podcast offer. The link is, as always, in the show notes. My producers this week were Harim Khan and Alicia Barrell, And the executive producer was Hannah Mourinho. I'm Anne McElvoy. And in London, this is The Economist.